0: they wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting ling ling city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now
1: you Media Project is a half hour of commentary and analysis on issues having to do with the news media in recent days, and we're very grateful to have you with us. I'm Rex Smith, former editor of the Times-Union, now the upstate American, we call it, and I'm here with my colleagues, Dr. Alan Shartok, the noted media critic. Uh, That's Barbara, so kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> actually, political scientist, columnist, commentator, etc., etc., and not for nothing, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio. Barbara Lombardo is here, former executive editor of the Saratoga and the record of Troy Mike Spain the former associate editor of the Times Union my great colleague and here we are here we are we're, we're gonna talk about media issues because we're supposedly back together again <laughs> isn't that great so Alan Ralph Nader Do you like Ralph Nader? No No mm. <laughs> Well, lay that aside <laughs> I'm Maybe. sure there's good origin of that We'll get mail well, Yeah, it yeah, could be Ralph Nader has become a publisher Ralph Nader has created a newspaper In his hometown of Winstead, Connecticut and he's going strong He's, by the way, even older than you, Alan He's 88 years old Wow, Nader.
2: that is old Isn't that? Well, some people You know, people here say, I am, just 81 Uh-huh Trying like crazy to catch up with Ralph Nader But uh, can't do it
1: Isn't that refreshing? Usually when you talk Turn an age You identify yourself As being the next year Already You know You're 81 I, usually, do, I do Usually you say
2: I'm 82 I do My twin brother Lewis uh, <laughs> Taught me about that How's You that? always go One year ahead Of where you are Because deafens The pain Or deadens The pain When you actually Get there Ah Well we're truth tellers Here in journalism
1: So the Winstead Citizen yes. Is launching Its inaugural edition And Ralph Nader Says that He needs to have A paper Now it's, it's a Paper paper By the way It's oh, yeah, I know yeah. that feeling. You know that feeling. You know, you're holding it in your hand. And... Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about the preservation, because, I mean, the difficulty is that newspapers, of course, have closed down around the country, around the world. News deserts are one of those things that we talk a lot about on this program. What do you think about this notion? Alan, why don't you start us off? What do you think about the launching of a new paper? How likely is that to succeed in a place across America?
2: Well, yeah. as the one who has started newspapers, myself, at least one newspaper, the Fire Island Sun... I've mentioned that many times. Really? Oh, well, the legislative for, gazette. Oh, there was the legislative gazette. Yeah, that the I, one I would you have f- mentioned. Thank you for that. So, that? you know, You're I know trying about, to
1: help your memory out here. <laughs> yeah,
2: which needs a lot of help. So, so yes, you can start a newspaper. You're going to need some things. You're going to need some money to start it, to pay for the paper. If you're doing it not only online and if you really want to have what we used to call a newspaper, then you, you may need some extra things. But uh, it's not easy.
3: Yeah. It's a challenge. Starting a newspaper today is like opening a restaurant in New York City. If you want to make a million dollars, you got to start out with two million dollars. I mean, it's just... That's an, funny. An uphill battle. Uh-huh. I mean, the cost of... Pulling it all together, having it printed, having it shipped, and then finding the revenue for that. Now, it it did establish itself as a 501 3C. Basically, it can receive, you know, not-for-profit status and people can contribute to it. And it will be an interesting model if enough people. And there are foundations out there that are looking at these models. And there is some money to be granted to help people like Ralph Nader trying to start community newspapers because there is a recognition. I mean we've talked about it here, Barbara you've talked about it a lot. A recognition that local communities are not getting the coverage that they once had, and that means public officials are not being held accountable. You know it is so I'm sorry, Barbara. Oh yes,
2: please. I did step on you before you were able to speak. And my colleagues are all laughing at me, so I really do want to let you go first.
4: Wow. <laughs> <is it> <laughs> <laughs> and I, I imagined you were interested in this, especially, I think, Winstead in uh, Connecticut is only about half an hour from where you live in Great mm-hmm. Barrington, right? right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. that, so it's not as the news organizations, right? Um, I think this sounded to me like just kind of a fun project yeah. that Ralph Nader was deciding to do. He's throwing in $15,000. Wow. There, is, there are other news organizations, for better or worse, that do provide some coverage of mm-hmm. Winstead already, so that he didn't pick a total news desert to report this, and it's a town of about 7,100 people. So it's not maybe the top place where this needs to be done. That said, I think it's a good idea to see how this nonprofit model is working. And then on the third other hand, <laughs> uh, when they're planning to charge 25 bucks a year for a uh, print subscription, I'm no math major, so I didn't do the uh, well, they're, multiplication on that, but how many, 25 times how many, plus.
1: Only 11 editions is what they're committing ele- to. Right, 11, only 11 editions. Once a month. Right. Is first, what it was going to be a
4: weekly that yeah. was 11 editions, which is not a bad idea because they can choose. What it is they want right. to focus on to hold those elected officials accountable, if that's what they're going to do. And instead of the pressure to produce something all, you know, every day or even every week. So it's not a, it's not a bad idea. I'm interested to see how this experiment works.
2: You know, I am so reminded of those films that we used to watch on television on Channel 9 or Channel 11, which would basically say the same thing. You know, let's have our own newspaper or let's have our own this or that. Let's do a show. Yeah, let's do a show. (laughs) It's not like this one. It's not that easy to do.
1: Yeah, well, you know a more likely operation is what's happened in Columbia County where some years ago a fellow named Perry Teasdale, who has been heard on these airwaves created something called the Columbia Paper. He's terrific. How's that for a great interview? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Columbia Paper, a weekly. He's based in Ghent which is just outside Chatham. Well, I
2: knew I once knew a young lady from Ghent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and she was happy with this gent. So the Columbia paper has now been sold to a small group of newspapers headed by a guy whom Mike and I know, Mark Vincigara, who used to be the circulation director of the Times Union, now runs a small group of newspapers. And they have taken over the Columbia paper, hoping that by consolidating a bunch of little papers, they can actually continue to put out a weekly.
2: Well, you've put it out there. Now now I need some assessment as to whether this is a good plan, Rick. Time will tell. Time
4: will tell. (laughs) Right. That is
2: not sufficient. Efficient.
4: I have never yet seen an example, and maybe you folks have, when the idea of expanding so as to generate more resources for your efforts has ever resulted in anything other than cutting back those resources. I see what you're saying. Me too.
3: That is a reality. When you have a couple of operations and you combine them into one, it'll be expensive if you keep all of the resources there. So that's the natural business approach is to consolidate and remove duplication and be able to produce for a broader audience something that is less costly than the two other products spent themselves and and we've
4: all we've all been through that it takes business decisions and a lot of content decisions Mm -hmm. that's what I'm trying to say so that if you're covering seven areas with a weekly instead of four whatever it might be are you also looking for ways to duplicate the actual stories that are being presented in those individual uh, weeklies yeah it's good that
1: they're keeping it alive but it it does seem as though some yeah it's hard it's like you know WAMC some coverage of areas which used to have their own radio stations and you know you're you're covering broadly an area but gosh it was great in the days when local communities could each support their own local newspaper local radio station and so on but we seem to be in a different era now when we are Inundated with media on the national scale, but what is going on locally is really quite difficult. I was taken by a a piece in Columbia Journalism Review that was sent to us about the courts beat out in Oakland, California. The one reporter who, 31 years old, reports for the East Bay Times, which is now the nameplate, the flag that's on the local daily out there used to be that there were several reporters covering the courts out there. And, you know, my favorite beat as a reporter was covering the courts on Long Island. Why I was lo- that? I loved,
2: oh, gosh.
1: Courthouses are places where there's drama, and yet they're also smart people and where there's so many great stories. And in, you can get the corruption of a local politician, and you can get a homicide or a wacky crime. It's just great storytelling. And
4: it's, it's good for people, I guess like us, Rex, who enjoy going to records. Ah. So it's not just sitting in a courtroom and watching the drama unfold and telling that story, but it's using records to be able to tell stories. And that was something that made that writer that you're talking about uh, really stand out in my mind, that he's finding stories. He had to learn how to decode the Mm -hmm. police and court reports in order to be able to decide, is there a story here or isn't there? What does it mean? What the
1: numbers mean on the criminal complaint logs. Yeah. But there's so much less of that. Right. Oh, there's
4: tons Uh, less than that. There's
3: not time and opportunity for an individual to devote himself so intently on one narrow area. I mean, now reporters have to be more than ever. This was always true. They have to be generalists, most reporters, and to be able to devote yourself and learn the ins and outs of a very, very intricate system like that is a luxury that unfortunately very, very few reporters even had 20 years ago. And this guy in Northern California, he's an anomaly today, and there are not more of them coming along because there's not a system to support them. You know, who's going to hire them? Who can afford to have someone spend all of their time on something like that? This. And yet, when you do do that, it produces results. Yeah, the reporters who really know what they're doing
1: make such a difference there because if if there's nobody there to. Pick up those criminal complaints You might not know about them You might not even know That there's a complaint Against a cop For beating somebody up In your neighborhood Because the police department's not going to put out A release about that If they don't have to
4: Yeah, you end up with a hole On two levels One is you don't know Those individual stories Which could be newsworthy In themselves You also don't see the trends You're not mm-hmm. reporting on The bigger issues That might be happening In your community Because you're well, not you, Keeping track of the individual here's ones
1: Here's one way In which that is problematic When I became the Courts reporter In Hop Hog, Long Island For Newsday I thought we should report About Rape 1 That is First degree rape Which is violent Because I thought You know Oftentimes those Could well have been homicides And so I started writing What ended up being Small You know News briefs But I wrote about Every person Who was indicted For Rape 1 And brought in And a few months later, there was a press release from a local anti-violence advocacy group saying that there had been an alarming rise in rape in (laughs) Suffolk County. (laughs) And I called them up to find out about it. And they said, well, just read your own newspaper. You can tell. (laughs) No, this is reporting that is more aggressive, not uh,
2: necessarily incidents of crime. And yet, Rex, you raise a very interesting point, as you always do, because, in fact, you know, this makes a big difference, the way it's reported and the way it's perceived.
3: Well, if there isn't a capable and knowledgeable court reporter or reporters watching the courts, then it becomes press release. Then the DA and the public officials get to put out press releases about the crimes they want to publicize, the convictions they want to publicize. You probably won't get a press release when charges are dropped against somebody. If there's Mm -hmm. no reporter in the courtroom and it's not being followed closely, you don't hear about it. You'll hear about the arrest, but when the case falls apart because there wasn't adequate evidence and perhaps the guy actually didn't do it, you might not even hear about it, and, and and that's just the problem going on everywhere in localities if there are not adequate people holding them accountable. And I'm afraid that is going on now.
1: One of the things you mentioned, Mike, the outset of this was the not-for-profit status, which Ralph Nader has gotten, and which a lot of fine news organizations are taking up. WAMC is a not-for-profit. I'm on the board of the Adirondack Explorer, a terrific organization in the Adirondacks that is a not-for-profit. New York City now has a new- New startup alternative voice Uh, You know, there used to be these alt-weeklies The Village Voice, the Soho News And now there's a new one called Hellgate Named for a bridge, of course Named for a bridge, yes (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a sturdy bridge That could go over the uh, I'm trying to remember why they said The East River Yeah, it goes over (laughs) turbulent waters (laughs) Enough to span the city's most treacherous currents So that's the notion That is a
2: bad current, I'll tell you right now I'm (laughs) Fully aware of it mm-hmm. Right but, where the East River Meets the Hudson And comes together oof,
1: Yeah, I've tried To sail through that And that's Oh, you sail? Well, no, I was winch bait That is, I was the guy Who would turn the crank I'm not really a.
2: Well, sailor. you know Don't deprecate yourself That way, you know people, <laughs> people, <laughs> who, people who sail Quite frequently Come from a particular Social class uh, yeah, Which yeah, I've did, always thought how do about How you say
4: yeah. In, in uh, sail talk We're veering off uh, course are, Is that the Right It's hacking away uh, From uh, the wind So if oh. I, uh, I'm <laughs> and what do you call it when you move the sale Boom, coming over. Back to get us into <laughs> uh, okay, into the right, right direction. Yes. <laughs> but I found that very interesting about the new publication there in uh-huh. New York
3: City. Will yeah. it be online only? It will be
4: online it? only. Yes. and That was a big difference. We didn't mention that the Nader paper, remarkably to me, was going to be print.
3: Yeah. Only, and have
4: a little presence and that, online. And that yeah. uh, Nader was basically bragging that he's never used a computer.
1: Nader says uh, that the real decision makers only pay attention to print. And I hate to say it, but... That's an 88-year-old man speaking because he doesn't understand well, that that is what, that, not true. no matter
4: what age, that would be an uninformed thing uninformed. to say. Yeah. Um, and so the opposite is the uh, Hellgate, which is going to be publishing only online, which does make a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean no disrespect to people who are 88. I'm just saying that that or is 81. out of... Or 81. Yes, of yeah. course, Alan. But, <laughs> but you're out of touch if you think that print is really the way that you have impact in this society. That's not true. And actually, you know, I love the smell of newsprint. I really do And I loved the feel Of the press rumbling and, and all of that And I started When there were still Glue pots on top Of every newsroom desk That
4: explains a lot Yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> No, you have to glue The pieces And
4: newsboys of...
3: And news carriers <laughs> yeah. But newsboys yes, Yeah, paper paper. Boys men who the
1: but the fact is That digital Actually has A great advantage In almost every Form of journalistic Storytelling That better storytelling Is possible with digital
4: Even um, the stories that the winsted paper comes up with in its 11 editions they'd have a place in the online world maybe they actually will end up being online somewhere and they can be updated and people can comment imagine that yeah the interactivity can is reach wonderful so thing, many more people mm-hmm.
3: well I went on to the Hellgate website and there were some pretty well written pretty interesting stories with good photos etc they, they did a big piece about the new Long Island Railroad connection to Grand Central Station which had been in the works for 50 years and they told about you know, the positives of it, and they told about the overruns and the cost, $11 billion, and some of the mechanics of it. And I, I found it to be well-written, very interesting, you know, and there was a little bit of edgy talk and some, you know, vulgarities used in it, the kind of thing you get away with maybe on a podcast, but you wouldn't have on this radio station. Well, let me no. ask you, I didn't, I didn't listen to that, <laughs> and, uh, but I,
4: I read the editor and publisher article announcing mm-hmm. their startup, and I'm curious to know, when you say edgy, did you find that it would be crazy? That they're believable.
3: Oh, no, it was solid journalism. No, it had quotes in it, it had documented cost figures that were consistent with what I read elsewhere about that. I don't know if that is enough to make it successful, make it stand out, except that people are going to be working from home. There are probably a lot of journalists who are underemployed in New York City. It might be a way for them to get back writing again. And that's probably going to feed it because there are an awful lot of talented people down in New York City who are looking for work. It sounded
4: fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, it did. But they're not
3: going to be full-time staffers, no doubt. No,
1: no. And I think that that's actually – I mean, I remember years ago telling a young class of journalists – that I was worried that they would have to be kind of like ballet dancers, those, you know, the wonderful, uh, I think of them as storks, these thin young women who used to walk around and actually would wait on your tables, ballet dancers and uh, Broadway show actors who would work periodically, but mostly they would wait on your tables. And I worried that journalists would be that way, that you would have to have a sideline of your work and that you would then practice journalism on the side. Maybe that's not a, terrible thing. I mean, I'm trying to justify and tell myself that it's okay. Can you
3: develop your craft and can you really devote your, I mean, the journalists that have succeeded and the names that we know are people who probably did it 20 hours a day and were just really good at it because they devoted their whole life to it. Can you do that part-time? I don't know. Maybe it's there's a lot of journalists who did develop their craft. Now they're having families. They're working as waiters and waitresses, and, and they want to they want to use the skills that they developed. And maybe capitalizing on that is maybe what Hell's Gate will do. Maybe if artificial intelligence takes over the easy oh,
1: stories, yeah, there you know, excellent transition there.
3: Won't that be interesting? Oh,
1: won't that be interesting? You know, AI can actually handle. Writing a game story Somebody That's just been, going enters, that has yeah. been going on a long time That has been going on The AP's yeah. been using AI To do that kind of work And so maybe As it gets more sophisticated Of course you worry That somebody's going to You know put junk Into the program and, and it will lie to us But maybe you can do that And then free up human beings to write these more in-depth pieces that you're noting that have an edge to them or something
3: you know i guess buzzfeed is is bragging that it's already intending to use ai to write a lot of their pieces and when they were criticized for it the answer was well we'll get journalists to fact check and to you know make sure all of this is correct before we let it go on our website it isn't like we're just going to turn ai loose but it's a risky proposition you could see where mistakes will happen and AI will just gather up the latest headlines off the internet and throw them up there and portray them as accurate, truthful news. I think about the calls that we used to get, Mike. You know, look at the old days when we would, for example, have a young
1: reporter who would mistake Clinton Avenue in right. Albany for Clinton Street, Fifth Avenue in Troy for Fifth Street, which, uh, you know, the delineation changes when you get just uh, North and South. North but, and South. Right. But
3: that always revealed that the reporter really didn't have credibility. And right even though he otherwise might that that kind of mistake really undermines trust that people may have in you when you when you can't spell the name of the mayor or when you can't get a little fact right like that but in fairness, journalists have been using some versions of AI for a long time. <laughs> or fake intelligence. Yeah, yeah well, no. no they, <laughs> people Google things. And oh, yeah, look yeah, it up. yeah, You know, those are little pieces that get put together, double-checked, triple-checked, et cetera, et cetera. The fear is that with the—what's the name of the program? Chat? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh yes with letters after it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> chat gbt or something like that. That, that that it's so good in mimicking writing by actual people that pretty soon there'll be websites maybe it won't be buzzfeed but someone'll see the value of collecting revenue from little ads on websites that virtually have no employees other than one guy who collects the money and that can be really problematic for our society after a while the chat program will be looking at other AI stories and using that to pull together its stories. And then there's a whole new reality that's not Oops. even real. That's not
4: real. Yeah. <laughs> not real. yeah. <laughs> that chat Jeff. GPT, is it? Mm-hmm. GPT, um, yeah. I share your concerns, Mike. And I also see the opportunities for expanding the types of things that journalists, real journalists can do because they won't be bogged down having to do some of the Writing, I guess, but there's you still need journalists to be making the decisions of gathering the news and how to report it, and is the information correct and accurate? So it's, I don't
1: think you can regulate it though by statute. You know, where you're no. almost depending upon the goodwill and the integrity of the owner of the journalism organization, and that's it's a problem. <laughs> and that is a problem, yes, because we see how far integrity goes in the right wing media yeah. that is it's now. It's not even
4: journalism organizations. It's everybody is a publisher. Yeah and anybody can be using chat. GPT um, and social media and
1: g- allows whatever out there uh, to happen. I was just reading a comment on uh, let's see Twitter this morning where a guy in Michigan was saying, "Well, now that that kidnap plot has been proved to be false." Well, no, in fact, people were convicted of the kidnap yeah, plot. they're and going to the prison governor, for it, and yeah. they're going to prison. But notwithstanding that, people are still able to say whatever they want to. Of course, and that's fine. This is America. But then it is. Amplified, especially by The right-wing media that doesn't Care, frankly, about (laughs) Veracity The death of Tyre Nichols, for Example, at the hands of the Memphis Police Department is Giving right-wing So-called journalists of Fox News An opportunity to sort of Double down attacking Black Lives Matter and uh, Those who would stand up For police reform, and I don't Know what you ultimately do other than depend upon the marketplace I, I don't know how in a free society You can do anything really About that kind of malfeasance
3: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately people Can choose the version of the news That they most agree with And most want to hear So if people are upset by Calls for police reform And think that they're out of line And they they buy into the notion That George Floyd, you know Was blown way out At the death of George Floyd A couple of years ago Was blown way out of proportion and uh, that they can turn on Fox News and they'll get affirmed in those bleeds. So hasn't that always been the case, Mike? Yeah, it has, but there hasn't been this isolation kind of your audience, my audience. I mean, there always were specialty publications, but there was this notion of a mainstream news that was balanced, mm. that, you know, applied high standards before it printed or published or aired anything, uh, you know. But So now you have Fox News and you have CNN or maybe MSNBC now, mm. uh, and, and you can go to one or the other and get a whole different version and a whole different spin. And then you have the efforts to be mainstream, like the ABC Evening News or the NBC Nightly News, etc. And They're in a dilemma. They want to show people that they're being balanced, so they start interviewing people on both sides and giving... Equal play to people who are valid and correct to people who are wackos. Well,
4: this is where we need that <laughs> uh, really courts reporter. Happens. We yeah. need that court <laughs> reporter from Northern California to be going through records for us <laughs> because that both side isms, which is a danger in a lot of the coverage that the media is responsible what for. What was the term? Both, both side ism, where mm. you, are, you think you're trying to be balanced and you're giving weight to both sides when sometimes there really isn't another side. But for this particular issue on the police beatings. When you look at documents, I haven't delved deeply, I've only read about this part of it, is that that there is systemic racism, even though the officers were black and the victim was black. When you look at, even in, in Memphis, the percentage of black officers, the percentage of black population. And the black who are more, arrested, the number of blacks and, who Right, are the arrested, number that. of minorities, and this has been corroborated in other places. It's out of proportion, the number of black people who are arrested, charged with whatever it might be. And, so and that's, is
1: that reflected in the coverage, do you think? Does the journalist do only a good if job? I think
4: only if you and your organization steps back yeah, to take a broader look at it. Otherwise, it gives credence to um, the right that's saying, oh, this is just a couple of bad apples. So not both raci-
1: sideism no is journalism that allows that notion to get across without really having the facts at hand to argue against it the way you're suggesting. Yes, and I, I think if yeah. people
4: look up Van Jones, they can see the things that he has written and talked about, this systemic racism that mm-hmm. needs to be addressed. And don't be fooled by the fact of the particular races of the people and of the cops involved. Okay, with that, we are actually
1: wow. out of time. Imagine that. Uh, another edition of the Media Project, folks, has come and gone. Here with Alan Shartok and Barbara Lombardo and Mike Spain, with gratitude to our producer, David Gessina, and to you for listening to us, I'm Rex Smith. Thank you for joining us. We hope to see you again next week on the
0: Media Project. paper guild got a free new world to build. Meet the people, that's a thrill. All together fits the bill. Oh, newspapermen are such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent.
3: The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Greg Smith is the former editor of the Times Union and Substack columnist. Mike Spain is the former associate editor of the Albany Times Union. And Barbara Lombardo is the former editor of the Saratogian and a journalism professor at the University of Albany. Listen to The Media Project online anytime. At WAMC.org or schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcast. Or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening.
0: Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers to freedom of the press.